Hey guys, welcome to Precision Nutrition's The Complete Fitness Professional Podcast. I'm Dr. John Berardi, co-founder of Precision Nutrition, and if you're not familiar with us, over the last 15 years, we've become the world's largest online nutrition, fitness, and health coaching company. Most interesting for health and fitness pros, we've turned the lessons learned coaching over 200,000 clients into a complete nutrition and health coaching system called the Precision Nutrition Certification. It's the industry's most recognized career-changing coaching system anywhere. In this podcast, which is a mix of recorded articles, interviews, and roundtable discussions, myself and my Precision Nutrition colleagues will coach you on growing your business, helping more people, and becoming a better coach. We'll help you become more than a personal trainer, strength coach, or nutritionist. We'll help you become the complete fitness professional. So let's get started. All right. Well, welcome. Thank you, Krista. So let's just jump right in um, and talk about, oh God, there's so much to talk, I feel like there's so much to talk about with you. I feel like we have like hours and hours of really interesting material, but let's start off with, with what I think is the most interesting thing about you for this particular interview, which is the fact that you are a legit doctor. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> yes, um, well, I, I do have a medical background. Um, I studied medicine in, at the Royal College of Surgeons in Ireland, and, um, and then I stayed on to do a surgical career. So I, I trained as a surgeon, and then I did a clinical fellowship in surgery in London uh, at the Chelsea and Westminster Hospital. Um, and the, the original plan was to, to be a career surgeon, uh, but with, uh, th then my wife became pregnant and, and, uh, with twins, and um, during the pregnancy, I, I had a lot to think about. So I, I, I considered that I wanted to, to be more present in their lives. And, and also, throughout my entire career, I was interested in wellness. I did five years of general surgery where we, I, we did a lot of amputations, a lot of diabetes, wound care, uh, cardiovascular disease, uh, bypasses, all sorts of uh, procedures. And, and it really struck me for those five years that... Um, that there had to be a better way because I felt like we were just fixing a sinking ship. And, and literally I had patients with tracheostomies smoking in the hallways and, and outside the hospital in between procedures and things. And I thought we have to get to the root of the problem. The root of the problem is lifestyle. So I, that inception of improving um, lifestyle began long before. Um, I, I even went into pediatric surgery. So then I went to pediatric surgery, did five years of that, and during the pregnancy of my wife, um, I started really thinking, could I make a living out of that? And I read an article uh, from the Institute of Lifestyle Medicine at Harvard University, Dr. Eddie Phillips, discussing lifestyle medicine, and this was 2010. And that's when I realized, hey, there are people actually doing this. And I thought, how, would, how great would it be to, I mean, I love surgery, I love cutting, I love procedures, um, but, but I thought, wouldn't it be great from an ideological point of view to, to get to the disease before you even have to be doing uh, invasive procedures? Like showing people, you know, how they can live better, eat better, um, exercise in a way that works for them culturally, uh, in, in their lifestyle, in, in what they in their values. But I didn't know where to start. So 
I decided during the, the, the pregnancy that, that uh, to leave surgery, to move to the, back to the United States, where I had lived 20 years, uh, for 20 years before. Um, and I moved back to be near my family in, in Austin, Texas, uh, so my daughters could grow up next to relatives, you know, we were a big family. Um, and, uh, and I took that, the opportunity to reinvent my practice. So I left medical practice and, and I started health coaching, but everybody around me thought I was nuts because they're like, what is health coaching and what are you doing, you're a doctor? But uh, I thought, you know, I thought there was a way. So I started looking for the best kind of qualifications that I could kind of retool myself or reskill. And the first thing was nutrition and also exercise and started taking uh, continuing medical education credits through Harvard and Yale and many other great places. But the nutrition part was missing and, uh, well, it was addressed, but very superficially. Um, so I did an extensive research of, of any kind of training from ranging from becoming a Diet, uh, registered dietitian, which I considered, to doing a master's degree um, in public health, all sorts of things. Um, but I didn't have the budget, and I didn't have the time, and honestly, I didn't have the intellectual interest to do to delve into so such big topics. I just wanted the nutrition part, but I wanted it to be sound, science-based, research-driven. Um, and it took me a while before I came across precision nutrition. Uh, and when I did, it, uh, I, I did not give it the benefit of the doubt. I just kept uh, digging. Uh, and it kept impressing me the more I found out about it. Uh, eventually, it took several weeks, if not months, uh, most, most of that spring, before I decided to, to take the course. And that was just because I had noticed that there was uh, a certain ethics behind it. You know, of of um, that it was driven by the science. It was not a commercial kind of get rich quick kind of scheme. It was not tied to any conflicts of interests. Uh, it was legitimate, and I had really, honestly, had never seen something like that. So, and the fact that that, that the qualifications of the people involved in it that are uh, presenting the the the, the program. Uh, was second to none. I mean, they knew what they were talking about. So that's you, <laughs> one of those people. We like to think so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so there's lots, there's lots of stuff in what you said, and we'll sort of get to all the pieces of it. But I wanted to back up to the almost the very beginning of what you were talking about, the kinds of surgeries that you were doing on people with things like heart disease, type one or type two diabetes. You know, for for folks who maybe don't have a concept of Mm. What the like? What the pathway of type two diabetes looks like in the end stages or cardiovascular disease? Can you give us a sense of, like, really what you see at the end point of poor lifestyle choices? Right. Well, uh, like like I mentioned, I, I trained in Ireland, and in Ireland they they love their butter. They 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 love you know very saturated fat heavy diets, and so these people grew up since they were babies living like that, um, and so. Being overweight is seen as normal, and so it's a lifestyle, it's a cultural issue. So by the time, and, and uh, sorry, and also, people don't seem to be surprised that they need to take medication. So when I rotated, for example, in family practices, they would walk in and they would be already diagnosed with diabetes for years, and they're in their 40s or 50s, and it was all about management, the, the new normal. It was not about, hey, 
you have diabetes, you know, can we do something about that? Now, the, the reversibility of diabetes um, has really only come to the forefront in the last several years. So back when I was in medical school rotating, uh, it was not even considered, like that's it. You have diabetes, we have to manage it, and you just have to, to keep taking your medication. There was, as far as I recall, there was very little mention of diet or even exercise. Or there was kind of like a token comment. So like, remember to stay active and cut down the butter. See you and see you next month. And that's it. And, and, and check the, the, the medication and go off. So it was a very kind of passive approach to the diabetic uh, spectrum because you start with metabolic syndrome and, and you move on to diabetes and then all the complications. And then when, when I was in the hospital, we would get, as, as you alluded to, you know, those people who have been at it for decades, and, and you would see them in the emergency room with uh, what's called uh, intermittent claudication, which is uh, coming and going of pain in the calves every time they walk because they have poor va uh, vascular flow to their feet when they exercise it, um, and, and other complications. They, they would step on a, on a nail or a tack and it would stay there for a couple of days because they wouldn't even notice it. So just when the, the pain became so in, increased or there were signs of infection, would they look and they would, would go, oh wow, I have a tack stuck to my foot because it was so numb, so the neuropathy is so serious. So these cases, you, you, you would see them in the hospital and again, we would just take care of the wound and maybe a bit of education and that's it send them off, never addressing the point of, hey, you have diabetes, it's something that we need to reinvent. We have to reinvent your lifestyle in order to um, mitigate the effects of this very serious disease. And, and I'm not into scaremongering, but these people need to be told, do you know where this is going? Do you know where you're going to be in 10 years time if you don't change your lifestyle? But that's still not enough. That's why I went in, into health coaching. Because doctors see patients, you know, especially now, maybe seven, 12 minutes every three months, every six months, and that's it. That's not gonna make a difference. Even if you say, you gotta lose weight over and over, that's not gonna do it. And psychologically, we're asking something that's not realistic. So the health coach is between the doctor and the, and the out of the community, between the patient and the doctor. And I'm interested in making normal people who are just concerned about their health not become patients in the first place. So I take the time uh, and, and I mean, my services is to, to, to take the time to, 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 to help that transformation take place. Because doctors are not in the position, it's, it's unfair of the system to ask doctors to do that in seven and a half minutes uh, or 12 minutes. And, and it's unfair of, to, to expect patients to be able to do that, to just lose weight, you know? So, so nutrition is at the center of a healthy lifestyle. And uh, th that was the one thing that, that was very frustrating to me as a surgeon. And it sounds like this experience of witnessing this really gave you a sense of purpose. And I'm curious for you, what were some of the emotions that you experienced as you witnessed this and just thought, oh my gosh, this is, this is preventable, and yet here we are. Like, what were you feeling at the time? Well, I have, I have a very clear um, memories of being in the emergency room in, in the long desks full of papers where doctors write their notes after seeing patients. And I remember being there, I don't know, three, four in the morning, writing all these notes. And, and 
I was always very thorough with my notes and just describing the whole picture so the next doctor who will see it will get a good idea of what the situation was. And I'm writing all these details and I'm thinking, and, and the place is buzzing with doctors. And I thought, literally, I remember thinking, with so many doctors busy managing sick patients, couldn't there be one doctor that could, that could focus on, on helping patients not become patients in the first place? Like, how is that? That, that, that was probably one of those clicking moments. I thought, how, can, how, is, that, how is it possible? I, I just wanted to stand up and just go and do that instead of being so overwhelmed and so busy managing the consequences of poor choices. So that's when I thought, um, well, I didn't think I'm going to leave surgery, but it, that, that was definitely a seed. And from there on, it was an increasing amount of frustration during operations, during recovery periods, the complications after operations. For example, I remember this one woman who we had to do a laparotomy, we had to open up her belly. Um, and then the wound, which was maybe like, you know, uh, 10 inches long, would not heal because she was obese. And the weight of her abdomen, of the, her abdominal wall, kept tearing the wound open. And then she got a nasty infection of, of uh, MRSA infection. So it, it was an ongoing chronic wound that we would see in the clinic two, three times a week and redress it and hope that it was growing. And she was getting angry at us and we were getting frustrated at her and all because of this and, and nobody was talking about it. It was just, oh, this, she has, she's obese and the weight is tearing the wound open. We just have to keep managing. She was suffering, we were frustrated and all about, and nobody addressed the issue of lifestyle, of, of addressing the obesity. Um, so little cases like that kept just cropping up more and more and more until um, by the time I made the decision, I thought there's something wrong with this system. Um, for another example is vascular surgery. You do by, a bypass because one leg is not doing enough, it's not getting enough blood. So you do a bypass stealing blood from the other leg and then three years later, now the, that, the other leg is, and then you just keep, you know, taking, borrowing veins from here and putting them there. And, and you keep doing that and you run out of veins. You run out of bypasses, same on the hard surface, uh, same on the neck. There were people walking in with like 70% blockage of their of the carotid arteries going to the brain and they're functioning. And then we would do a bypass and then what happens next? And, and of course, the, the, the loved ones would ask, what next? What happens if this happens? What happens if this happens again? And what's our answer? You know, well, we're going to run out of veins and arteries to move around eventually. Again, very little talk as far as I remember as to solving the problem. So it was a frustration that, that, that brewed for the better part of a, of a decade. I, I, as a doctor, I, I saw these people um, throughout their entire ordeal, you know, and, and I'm talking about amputations and, and long recovery and rehab periods and very, very painful situations. And another nagging issue in, my back of my, in the back of my head was, I kept thinking, but this, this is preventable, or at least it should be preventable. Everything, like somebody being in the, in the hospital for 18 months, you know, with complications, and then they get pneumonia, and they get antibiotic-resistant, antibiotic infections, and they, they get all these, um, complications and every single one of those has a big immeasurable component of suffering 
of human suffering and their families and the stress and, and the despondence. And sometimes they would get, try to give up and they would just be so depressed with all this. All of that could just be prevented if, if they had led healthier lives to begin with. So that is kind of the motivation behind where I'm coming from. Many, many people, one of the most common questions I get is, but you're a doctor, what, what are you doing health coaching, right? And, and I see what they mean, but, but they don't know, and this is what I answer, is, is the, the, the feeling that you're doing, that you're getting to the root of the problem. So I, I took a, a huge pay cut. I, 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 yes, I went from a conventionally uh, promising career as a surgeon to, to one that is kind of up in the air, nobody really knows. Health coaching is a new area, uh, and my wife is totally backing me up. Uh, my parents-in-law are a bit bemused, <laughs> right? But uh, I'm even, I don't know, my, my parents may be wondering, but, but they, they actually do see that this moves me, that this, uh, this is really very meaningful to me. So I feel that there's definitely a, a, a drive behind everything I do. Um, it's bigger than, than, than a job. It's bigger than a, than a profession. It, it, I think it's a, it's a kind of calling to simply uh, get up in the morning and try to pre prevent disease. I think that's a great, a great thing to, to do with one's life, if, if it means that much to you, and it does to me. So then tell me how, so you've had this turning point and you've arrived at your decision that health coaching is maybe a direction you want to go in. So now, how did you find the certification as a result of taking this new direction? Right. So I, I, I took a, a, some time off um, to, to reskill. And, um, and I was originally looking for um, continuing medical education courses and credits, and, and I found them uh, at various prestigious universities and I did their courses, but it was not quite enough. They were, they were, you know, few, one was eight hours long, another one was maybe 12. So it, they were small courses and, and they were kind of not going deep enough into the topic. So I, I kept researching other certifications or degrees and, and I did a very lengthy research of the whole area until I found precision nutrition. And I, when I found it, it looked very promising, but uh, I just kept digging and I researched it and I followed, you know, your, I joined your emailing list and, and just tracked what you guys were doing. And I kept looking, I'm a rather skeptical person from a scientific background, so I, I was always looking for a conflict of interest, for a commercial angle. Um, or for kind of like an upsell kind of thing that, that comes up. A lot of the, I've seen a lot of this in many, many different uh, contexts. And, and yes, it is a business, of course, but it's, it's a business with what I feel with, um, it's a business with, with, with a mission. I felt that, it, that there was a mission behind it and I kind of, that resonated with me. So with what I was looking for. So I realized that there was, that it was scientifically sound, that it was research-based, that it was dynamic, because the, especially the field of nutrition is changing all the time. And if there's one, there are many mistakes in nutrition. One is to think that we know it all, and two is to, when you think you know it all, to become fixated with that, 
one version. And you can see it every six months in a different diet. Uh, and they claim that they know exactly what it is. We have to embrace the fact that it's a very fluid and dynamic field and, and that there is science to be known, right? It's not just, it's not people's opinion. There is stuff that we know how the body works. And I like that precision nutrition address that. They, they teach it well because I've learned a lot of the first part of the course I learned it in medical school and I've studied it over and over again. You guys teach it very well <laughs> compared to the way I, I learned it. Um, and it struck a great balance between being back in medical school or college or graduate school and doing something that's very, very practical. It was, it was balanced. It was not too theoretical. It was not, too, um, it was not just technical, right? It was a good combination of both. So I really enjoyed it. It was great for me. But I know a lot of people that could definitely benefit from that certification because they haven't been through medical school. And, and you always wonder, well, what would be the right balance? And I think that this course would be a good balance of the theory, the background, um, as well as the, 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 the practical application of nutrition, as well as biochemistry and human physiology. I mean, that's, it, it's all in there, but in a consume, consumable way, you know. So I really like that. And you mentioned the practical application part. Um, tell me more about what you mean by that, because I think people would imagine practical application in different ways. So tell me more about what you found in the certification that helped you with practical application. Sure. In medical school, they teach you a lot about you know, cell biology and physiology, biochemistry, how the mitochondria works, how the, the energy pathways. It's all there. We know it. And then you go in the wards and you try to use that somehow and, and you do learn about metab um, mitochondrial diseases and it, it's all kind of it's all used but when it become when, when you when it comes to coaching people to modify their nutritional habits that's different i, I never took a course on that in medical school we, we were never taught that and for that you need one sound scientific knowledge in nutrition, but you also need uh, a practical, a working knowledge of, of how you can use that to talk to a client. Again, that was never taught. But how do you take uh, the knowledge of energy pathways in a cell and, and explain to a client how they need to eat? That is a huge translation that needs to happen. And, and I think one of the key components is coaching skills. It is, just because you know it doesn't mean that you can coach it. And Precision Nutrition did that. It, it, it takes sound scientific knowledge, turns into practical knowledge, which then they teach you how to coach it. So the practical knowledge is turning, understanding, it's turning um, your knowledge of metabolic pathways into, so what do you eat tomorrow? How do you eat it? Uh, why are you eating like this? How do you assemble a meal uh, and why? I think if you teach clients to understand why, you, you're, why you're suggesting what you're suggesting, they can reason the rest themselves. They, they understand why. It's not just do, what, do as I say, but understand why you need to do this in a simple way. In a simple way. Not everybody wants to become a biochemist. I certainly don't. So, that's very, very useful, very powerful, I think. If you have the science, but then you can translate it into something that people can do and they understand why they're doing it, 
that's that's very very precious. So I'm going to ask. I'm going to sort of change directions, but I, I'm going to come back to what we were just talking about. But I, I want to bring this piece in because I think it's really interesting, which is that you were born in Mexico City, and then um, you know you were, you came to the U.S. around 11, I think you said, yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, so tell me a little bit about that, because we've talked about it, but I'm, I'm curious to kind of get that trajectory in, in the interview. So, so you're born in Mexico City, and go from there. <laughs> sure. So, uh, so I was born in Mexico City. My dad is a, is a surgeon. So when I was 11, he was invited to, to work at a hospital in New York. So the whole family moved to New York, and I became a New Yorker. So I stayed there for, um, for eight years, going to high school and then college. And then I went on to medical school in, in Dublin, Ireland, uh, which is a six-year program. There are a lot of Canadians there, by the way, <laughs> a lot of Canadians. Uh, and so, yeah, so I went to medical school and it was always, ever since I was five, I wanted to become a surgeon. So I always knew that I wanted to be a surgeon. And when I started my training in surgery, I loved it. So it was fantastic and, uh, and I love everything about it. So it's not like I burnt out. It's not like I don't like it. It's not, nothing like that. I miss it. I miss it sometimes. I miss the contact with, with the patients. But, um, but my life evolved, you know. And after dealing with a lot of sickness, sometimes you, you want to get to the root of the sickness and, and say, well, and also, I won't, I won't lie. The other thing is I was getting older. And surgery, I think, is a, it's a young person's job because it's very demanding. And, uh, and it's demanding on the family. Uh, and I wanted to be present with my children. And so when my wife became pregnant, I did a lot of soul searching. And that's when I read the article about lifestyle medicine and thinking, you know, this could be something that I could do and fulfill my, my, my drive to help people um, while maintaining a healthy lifestyle. And one interesting point about that is that a lot of doctors are not very healthy. And I was falling into that category, uh, especially residents. We live, we live very intense lives. We, in, in Ireland, it's kind of like the United States in the 80s, where we were working with unprotected hours. So I, I would do a 56-hour shift from Saturday morning until Monday evening. And I could be doing an operation Monday afternoon with no sleep uh, and no protected sleep. So it was pretty intense. And, and then back to work Monday through Friday and other calls thereafter. And it, it was just very intense. So as you can imagine, your cortisol levels rise and you start eating junk whenever you can because you start eating the patient's leftovers <laughs> because you can't find anything in the middle of the night. Uh, you skip meals. You don't sleep well. It just, it's a vicious circle. You don't find the time for exercise. So after several years of that, um, I felt a bit of a hypocrite because I, I was lecturing to my patients whenever it was relevant about leading healthier lifestyles and not really doing it ourselves. I mean, I, I know of an anesthesiologist who carried around a pack of cigarettes in his white coat, you know, and you could see it through the white coat and, 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 and he's an anesthesiologist. All he does is airways, right? Uh, it was remarkable. So I wanted to be more coherent with my own life. I, I, want, I knew I wanted to lead a, hel a healthier lifestyle, and I wanted to be a good example for my daughters, who we were expecting, and I wanted to be present in their lives. So I thought, I need to bring balance in my life before, uh, before lecturing anybody about it. So that's also how health coaching came into my life, and, and I realized if I do this, 
um, I can bring wellness to other people too. So one of the reasons I, I mentioned you being born in Mexico City is because you also you know, have the privilege of having at least two languages that you're able to communicate in. And so one of the ways you do your health coaching, which I think is really neat, is you actually do a radio show. Can you talk right. about that? Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it, I wouldn't call it health coaching because it's a health coaching is a relationship. So, so I, I, I like it to be uh, health coaching, but I, I call it more of a um, health promotion, right? So what I do is I volunteer at a Spanish-speaking radio station in Austin, Texas. Uh, it's called Radio Mujer, so it's obviously aimed at women, but it, which is an interesting angle, actually. So it's a Spanish-speaking radio station in Austin that, that targets women. And we, I just, I'm a guest, um, a regular guest every week there and we talk about topics that I do talk with my clients in health coaching. So I try to promote health, um, health and science literacy, um, healthy skepticism about the claims that they hear the rest of the day uh, on the radio and TV and everywhere else. And I promote what we do know of, of health and wellness, uh, including nutrition. So. I do it to reach out to a broader and greater audience that I, than I can with my health coaching. And these are typically people that, don't ha that can't afford to have a personal trainer. They may not afford to have a, uh, a health coach, but they need this all the same. In fact, I would say they probably need it more than the average. Uh, it, it's a clear trend that, that more highly educated and, and more well-off people don't have as high of a BMI, and and it's it's a double whammy of injustice. So uh, I tried to target um, a broader audience that needed, and the Hispanic community in the United States and North America overall uh, have do have a greater incidence of obesity, diabetes, and hypertension and other lifestyle-related diseases, and they tend to fall through the cracks. So so that's that's my little effort to to. And I'm trying to create an online course that will be um, affordable. Uh, it will be more automated, so it won't be so coach intensive, but that can, that can deliver the same amount of, of uh, sound advice. Um, and one of the other things you mentioned I just want to pick up on briefly is that doing the certification has enabled you to be more present with your family. Can you yes. talk about that a little bit? Sure. Well, who wants? To, who likes to be a hypocrite? You know. So I like to be coherent. I like to have my what I do align with the way I live. And so, if I am promoting wellness to my clients and during my professional life, that that naturally drives me and my family to to lead healthier lives. My wife's very health conscious. She's French, so she she values a lot the, the natural foods and whole unprocessed plant-based foods. So it, it, she helps me and I help her. And so it's all aligned in the same way. And I like to think that our daughters benefit from that, from living in a, in a healthier environment. Um, I, I try to sleep my hours. I try to stay active and my wife too. And we, we remain accountable to one another uh, in the whole family. And again, I, I see the effects in our daughters. Uh, they're now six and 
and they love their tomatoes and their broccoli and their cauliflower. And when they go to birthday parties and they have chocolates and sweets, they don't like milk chocolate. They just like the 88% dark cocoa that we give them every night. So it's because you're training the palate, which again, it's scientifically true. You can train your palate and you're, tasting your, you're training your taste buds and your habits. And it's a culture that we're creating in our home of, of enjoying all kinds of foods, pizza, hamburgers, whatever, but in the right portion, the right amount in a healthy, balanced way. Um, I have used the principles mentioned in precision nutrition, for example, to, to size our portions at home, um, to always look for the protein in the meals. You know, certain things, very, very simple things that even a six-year-old can understand. Um, I want them to, to be born, sorry, I want them to be, to grow up, I want my daughters to grow up understanding that that is a normal that you can have. Uh, a normal, a, a healthy relationship with food where you can use it to celebrate, you can use it to, to for social gatherings as we use it in this culture, but we don't need to abuse it and we need to have a, a healthy relationship with it throughout. So it, there are a, a little pet project of mine <laughs> in working, uh, a working pet project, and I think it's working. I 